this is Vanderbilt Business. On the second installment of our Vital Signs series, we sat down with Rangaraj Ramanujan, the Richard M. and Betty Ruth Miller Professor of Management, to talk about the notion of value-based care, the challenges in the healthcare system surrounding it, and how forces inside and outside the industry are pushing this concept into sharper focus. Amy Katz, Director of Marketing and Communications, conducted the interview. Good morning, Ranga. Very thrilled for you to be here sharing um, some thoughts about the very hot topic of value-based care. Um, maybe you could start and tell us a little bit about you and your background and how you got interested in this topic and how this all came about. Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you, Amy, for uh, talking with me about this important topic. So uh, my name is Ranga Ramanujam, and I have been at Owen for 10 years as a faculty member. And I do a lot of work uh, on what I call operational failures, why do things go wrong in organizations, and what are the organizational causes and consequences. And in the course of doing this research over the past 20 years nearly, uh, I came to recognize that one of the sectors where errors are especially pervasive is healthcare delivery. And so uh, since then, since I first got to know this, I have been studying patient safety, uh, specifically medication errors and hospital-acquired infections and what are the causes and consequences of these uh, mishaps. And so doing that in the field with any number of hospitals in several states in the country has given me a heightened appreciation of the challenges that uh, designing a good healthcare delivery system presents. I also have a background in organizational studies, which is to say that in anything I do, I am interested in understanding uh, how does organizational design, that is, uh, the structures and processes of combining people, technology, and work, how do these processes contribute to effective outcomes? And so eventually my research led me to a point where I became interested in understanding how do you better structure healthcare delivery at the hospital level. So again, I wanted to make that clear. Uh, you can study healthcare at different levels. There are people who study it at the level of the system or the economy. And I study it at the level of a hospital or at the level of units below. But that's really how I started and where I am today. Fantastic. All right, so let's um, jump right in and talk about this topic of value-based care. It's gotten a lot of press over the last mm, five, 10 years. So can you give us a, a clear definition of, of what exactly is it? Stated very simply, value in healthcare delivery is uh, health outcomes per dollar spent. That is patient health outcomes per dollar spent. What that means is you really want to maximize value, and that means you want to improve outcomes while containing costs. And the ratio of patient outcomes to cost is a very succinct way of conveying that you cannot just focus on improving outcomes if you ignore costs, or you cannot simply think about cutting costs while ignoring outcomes or quality. So I think value is a very simple but powerful way of forcing us to think about quality of outcomes and costs together. So sounds simple, you're right. Why have hospitals and health systems been struggling with this? What, what's unique about what's going on in, in this industry that makes this particularly challenging? Right, healthcare is immensely complicated and it also has a long history. And so in the combination of historical forces and the inertia that come with it, as well as 
the challenges of coming to consensus about what should be the priority makes it difficult for people to rally around a single idea. I, I'll give you, uh, let me take one step back and ask a more fundamental question. Uh, I think we all know that the purpose of the entire healthcare delivery system is to provide effective care. That's a very abstract idea. But if we were to step back and say, what is effective care? That turns out to be a surprisingly difficult question to answer because it's very multifaceted. Uh, in fact, the Institute of Medicine convened a panel to examine this very question. I'm going to say in 1999, it could be 2001, but it's one of those two years, where they convened an expert panel and they came out with a definition of what is effective care. And they essentially said effective care is care that is efficient, that is efficacious, that is equitable, that is timely, that is patient-centered, and that is safe. And it's not as if they said it's any one is more important than the other. That to deliver effective care, you want it to be all of them at the same time. Okay. And I can tell you that in non-healthcare settings, in the business world, it's very easy to, for everyone to agree that the goal is maximizing profits or maximizing shareholder value. There is no doubt about it. You might have other priorities like sustainability which have come in, but the core business model of being focused on uh, maximizing shareholder value continues to dominate how people think about this. In healthcare, that becomes a problem. I'll just say one more thing and uh, stop. Uh, it, it's hard enough to think about these multiple criteria of effectiveness, right? Efficiency, efficaciousness, or safety, equity, access. But on top of it, recognize that a lot of major hospital systems are academic medical centers, which also have additional missions of research and education. So this idea of multiple goals and multiple priorities makes consensus difficult. And that's one of the reasons why healthcare has just found it difficult to converge on any one idea. Um, certainly lots of complexity. So, so if we kind of focus on maybe the, the patient outcomes as, as one of the criteria, um, do you think value-based care has been effective to date? I think that's a question one needs to answer very carefully uh, because the idea of value-based care has gained currency in conversations and in rhetoric. But it takes a variety of forms. People define it in different ways. I'm going to stick to the idea of value being outcomes per dollar spent. Okay. Uh, and measurement turns out to be one of the biggest problems both in delivering value-based care, and also in assessing how effective it is. So one of the strange things about value uh, healthcare is, there are two things about healthcare that everybody talks about endlessly, quality and costs. But at the hospital level, it's really hard to measure both. It's quite extraordinary. There are hundreds, if not thousands, of measures of quality. A lot of them are process measures. Some of them are outcome measures. To give you an example, how do you measure quality? Patient mortality is an obvious one. The truth is we are getting better on that score. Patient mortality is on the decline. But clearly that's not good enough for us. We are looking at other indicators of quality, such as, for example, errors, medication errors, or compliance with practice guidelines. And clearly there, there's a tremendous amount of variation. Now, if you consider cost, I can tell you that it's quite simple or direct to measure cost at the level of the overall economy and say, hey, this is how much healthcare delivery costs. That's because you look at how much is being reimbursed by insurance companies and 
a CMS. Uh, but at the level of a hospital, if you ask the question, how much does it cost the hospital to perform a cataract surgery? Turns out that most hospitals don't have an idea. And that's because the kinds of cost accounting systems that we take for granted in the business world have not simply made their way into hospitals. So that's, again, a long-winded way for me to say that there are specific instances or cases where we can see uh, that there has been significant improvements in value using data empirically. I'm, again, talking at the hospital level. For example, I think uh, there are some recent data from MD Anderson, which has tried to reconfigure its some of its cancer delivery operations around a value-based model. And they have tried to measure a variety of outcomes as well as costs. And they have presented some data to show that it's made a difference. Similarly, there are other hospital systems uh, like the UCLA Kidney Transplant Center that has shown some data to show that there is improvement in value. So we have those site-specific examples. But the broader question of how effective has value-based healthcare uh, been is more difficult to answer. That, that seems totally understandable and, and a little bit shocking and surprising um, as, as an industry that we're still grappling with some pretty standard metrics that other industries have adopted. Um, so I guess another question is, why now? Um, we've kind of been talking about this transition of fee-for-service to fee-for-value for a while now, but what, what are some forces that are driving its rise now? I think there are several forces, right? First and foremost, it's always been a priority. It's always been important. But it's really getting to a point where it's no longer sustainable, mm-hmm. right? When you start talking about 17%, 18% of the GDP, and you have a demographic profile of a significantly aging population, okay. which is going to depend on CMS and things like that, uh, it's no longer a case of one sector of the economy not being unable to contain its costs. The spillover effects are going to be widespread. Therefore, there is more urgency to the issue. But the second is, I think more and more people from outside healthcare have also gotten interested in this problem. For example, uh, I, uh, te- some of, a lot of my teaching around value-based healthcare is based on work done by Michael Porter and his colleagues at Harvard Business School. And in my conversations with them, it's pretty clear that more and more business leaders mm-hmm. outside healthcare view the uh, viability of healthcare delivery as being central to their own profitability. Because for many companies, healthcare costs is one of the big costs. Exactly, yeah. that's right. So, And so what's happening is there are lots of outsiders coming in and trying to bring a different perspective. Uh, I would say in some ways, Owen, with its healthcare MBA program, is at the leading edge of that. Because what we are saying is, hey, there are some tried and tested principles in the world of business and management. And we believe that if applied meaningfully, mm-hmm. they can provide significant answers to many of the challenges that healthcare has been grappling with. So, And also there has been a tremendous increase in technology now, you know, with the social media, but also with uh, health information technology, mm-hmm. uh, things that seemed infeasible 20, 30 years ago, I've seen more feasible. So I think the convergence of a, a situation that's quickly becoming unsustainable, uh, new insights from business management and technology, and the emergence of new technology, I think they're all causing this to be the moment when value-based healthcare probably is coming more sharply into focus. 
Are there particular industries that you think the healthcare industry is getting unique insights from? So for example, for our students who may be considering switching from, from an industry in you know, finance or manufacturing or, or something <coughs> like that into healthcare, are there, are there particular industries that we're, um, the healthcare you think is paying more attention to? Something that comes to mind is kind of um, the hospitality industry that's really consumer sure. focused. I, I cannot offhand think of any one or a set of industries. Mm -hmm. Clearly, healthcare is looking to a variety of industries okay. for solutions. Uh, you gave the example of hospitality, and that turns out to be pretty important because one of the measures of quality is patient satisfaction. Mm -hmm. And so hospitals now look to hospitality for how they design their interface and registration processes, and so in that sense, that parallel holds. At the other end, I myself have been involved, and this is uh, with hospitals in Pittsburgh some time ago, in implementing the principles of Toyota production system to improve quality of healthcare delivery. And in this particular instance, that hospital actually had people from Toyota come over from Japan to train nurses and physicians in the Toyota production system. And so I, I would say that it runs the entire gamut. What that means for students or others or others trying to switch careers is it's not so much the specifics of their experience as much as what about their experience is transferable. Okay. And I, I'm going to say that it's more than most people think. That's great for our students. So let's talk a little bit about consumers. Um, we, we hear a lot and we read a lot about kind of this notion of consumer-driven healthcare, which is which is emerging. So... How do you think asking patients to pay more out of pocket and, and have a little bit more skin in the game, how is that shaping or impacting healthcare? I mean, I would say it's starting to, but again, the data on that has a long way to go mm -hmm. before we can come to a conclusion. But in principle, the idea clearly is uh, in every other industry, almost without exception, consumer choice drives firm decisions. Consumer choice uh, provides incentives for firms to align their structures and processes to provide the best possible service or product. Uh, in healthcare, far too often, it's been the insurance companies uh, that decide how much gets paid, which patient goes where, and so the consumers have been out of the picture completely. So to the extent that consumer choice becomes a factor, it's, I think, going to provide an incentive to hospitals. Uh, and that's really the theory. We see that happening in some of the primary care settings where it's easier for uh, uh, consumers to choose their first point of entry into the system. Mm -hmm. I think it's a lot more difficult in specialty care where it's based primarily on referrals. That's right. Okay. Um, so let's talk a little bit about these um, models, of some, some new models of delivering primary care. You mentioned primary care as an example. Um, so we're seeing lots of retail clinics. We see clinics opening in Walgreens and, and the little clinic. We've seen telemedicine, teledoc, doctor on demand. We've seen the growth of nurse practitioners and physician's assistants. So um, lots of sort of alternatives to the very traditional notion of going to a doctor's office and waiting mm -hmm. to see a physician. Um, so tell us about these access points. Do you think this is going to help us control costs or... What, what, do, what do these trends kind of suggest to you? I think these are entirely welcome trends. Okay. They represent innovation, and I think they represent also uh, a different way of utilizing current resources. 
and I, I think it's still playing itself out, these trends. But I, I'll give you some of the reasons why I think it's very preferable. A lot of that is happening at the primary care end in outpatient care. And if you look at one of the, there are lots of very amazing things about the healthcare system when you look at it from the outside. And I still think of myself as an outsider looking in. Uh, I will say that there was at least a 25 year period until 2011, I believe, where not a single new medical school was open in the country. Wow. So the supply of doctors is far more constrained and regulated than you would imagine. And so it's not too difficult to compute that if your supply of physicians is really a trickle, the new, new physicians, mm -hmm. but your demand is exploding, there is a tremendous need to utilize the physicians in the system more prudently. This is the notion of top of license. Top of the license. That's yeah. exactly correct. And when you start talking about top of the license, you start talking about physician extenders. Mm -hmm. And that's where the nurse practitioners come in. And so one of the concepts of value also is, from a hospital's viewpoint, it's really important for hospitals to spend more uh, their resources or allocate their resources toward activities where they add value. Mm -hmm. So I think the idea of a highly trained doctor who is an expensive resource from a system viewpoint, spending time doing routine checks on flus and things like that mm -hmm. is probably not the best use of that resource. Sure. So that's partly what I think is causing uh, the emergence of these new physician extenders as well as uh, urgent clinics and things like that. And I think that what it does in my mind is clears up some capacity mm -hmm. in the acute care hospitals to focus more on uh, the kinds of uh, cases that they could be adding value to. Sure. Okay. That's great to hear. So tell us a little bit closer to home. How is um, the UNC, which of course is Vanderbilt University Medical Center, how are they addressing this and, and what are some strides that they're sure. making um, that kind yeah. of illustrate some of these trends? Right. And I think VUMC, I think, has been very much uh, in the forefront nationally in trying out many experiments. And I think a lot of these are experiments, really, uh, with value-based care. Uh, for example, uh, this is still ongoing, uh, but they have been following many of the basic elements of a value-based framework that Michael Porter at Harvard uh, advanced a few years ago. For example, one of the ideas there is you reorganize care so that it is focused on a disease condition. Mm -hmm. So previously, if you were organized by specialties spread across, you bring them all together around a disease condition and you provide care for the entire cycle of care. So it's just not, you know, previously there was the idea that you start caring for patients when they step into the hospital and the care stops once they leave. Whereas now there's a better understanding that for many conditions, you want to catch them early, sure. track, and then once they leave, follow up. So I, I think they have tried to create several integrated uh, care unit, uh, practice units, okay, IPUs. And is this exacerbated by some, I guess, trends around like re uh, readmission penalties and things like that? So hospitals are really being incentivized to provide some of that. I think that's certainly care. part of it. I mean, it's certainly part of it because the idea of a value-based care, if you go back to the definition of value, it's quality of outcomes by cost. Clearly, in as much as you get 
better quality outcomes, or stated differently, you don't have the problems with the outcomes, right. then you won't have a problem with reimbursements. Okay. So I think it certainly helps with reimbursements, okay. but it also in principle helps with cost. So I think Vanderbilt is reorganized into integrated practice units. They have several projects now uh, aimed at measuring quality and outcomes more precisely at the level of a patient. Okay. And one of the other important things about value-based care at the hospital level is volume or scale. So uh, I think the full benefits of value-based care are realized if you're doing thousands and thousands of the same activity rather than doing it five times a year. Yeah. I mean, there is economies of scale. Sure. And previously, hospitals have tended to spread their resources thin without thinking too much about volume. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that Vanderbilt is doing is created this Vanderbilt Health Network across the state. And therefore, it provides a feeder so we get more referrals. Got it. And that increases the volume. And that volume also feeds our learning because sure. we learn more and we get better. So it just becomes a virtuous cycle. That's the idea. Okay. Okay. Are you seeing that in other health systems around the country? I think you mentioned. Yeah, right. I, I think, for example, that's one thing very clearly that Cleveland Clinic does. Okay. So Cleveland Clinic is an interesting example where uh, they are obviously based in Cleveland, out of Cleveland. And they have since extended, uh, historically, they have had uh, operations in Florida. Mm -hmm. And they've also tried to do something internationally. And so Cleveland Clinics and the Mayo Clinics, for example, are still focused on value-based healthcare, but they also need volume. Sure. And one of the ways they increase their volume is also sourcing patients from outside the U.S. Right. for paying out of pocket. So that general idea of having a structure internally of an integrated practice unit measuring cost and quality, and then making sure that you're feeding a lot of volume into the system so you speed up learning. I think you, you observe that in a few other systems as well. So another thing that we're seeing um, a little closer to home, starting with, with VOMC, though I think other health systems are, are copying, is um, an investment in technology. Mm -hmm. so you mentioned that a few moments ago, but um, can you talk a little bit about how technology is sort of curbing the rise of healthcare costs? And I know a lot of... Um, systems are implementing new EMRs, and just how do you think that's impacting? Yeah, I, I will say that given the complexity of healthcare, and it's really hard to overstate the complexity, right? You have multiple specialties. You have multiple types of providers, and patients come with different kinds of conditions. And so, and there are costs which are different for different patients and different procedures. So ultimately, how do you manage that? It comes down to the quality of information. So in that sense, information is central to enabling value-based care. And an information system is really what it's about. So I will essentially say that everything that we are talking about assumes or requires a solid, meaningful information system. Health information technology is essential. So it's a really critical foundation. Right. And so in all the examples they gave you about Cleveland Clinic or MD Anderson or VUMC, uh, behind the scenes, the amount of investment and thought that goes into designing technologies so that the providers have the appropriate information in front of them mm -hmm. when they make real-time choices, mm -hmm. that's absolutely critical. And so I would say uh, the biggest change is really the kind of information that providers have in front of them as they're making decisions. And that includes, for example, in some cases, providers are being presented with data about costs, which was kind of unheard of before. Right. 
in some experiments at least you say, just as they get clinical data about their patients real time, and when they're thinking of treatment options, uh, you provide some additional cost data, and that can nudge physicians towards more cost-effective solutions. Um, certainly that seems to be um, a part of a conversation that's finding its way in a little bit more as consumers have a little more skin in the game. Mm -hmm. They're asking their providers to consider a sure. number of alternatives. Um, that's, that's terrific, and that's really important um, for our listeners to think about. So tell us why it's critical that Vanderbilt business students are conversant in this topic of value-based care. Why is it important for the, them to understand um, this sure. concept as, as they study here and then go out to their jobs? Yeah, absolutely. That, I think that's a great question. And I'm going to say that, uh, first of all, I think business and management, if you think of those as disciplines, they have a lot of offered healthcare. And that's the fundamental premise, and that's underlying our vision for our healthcare MBA program. So if you then ask the question, how can business or principles of management inform healthcare? I think value is the short answer. Because when we talk about strategy in every other industry, it's based around the notion of value. So the idea of value is very familiar to students in business. The interesting thing is that this is an idea that's relatively new to healthcare. And once it's framed as value, to me at least what becomes evident is how much business can offer. And therefore I think value provides a nice transition point or an entry point for business school students to start making sense of the challenges in healthcare. But more than that, I think healthcare students need to, healthcare MBA students, using value need to then start to understand the healthcare context uh, because healthcare is different in many ways from a typical organization but i think value helps them to find parallels aside from access to you and some of your colleagues um what what do our students learn here at vanderbilt business that sort of uniquely prepares them to be successful in this industry i will say that uh, lots of things first of all our students get a solid grounding in general business management. So it's they're first and foremost MBA students, and that's important, okay? So they're trained to think like managers in most other industries. And then on top of that, they get a very deep level of exposure to the healthcare context. It starts with our immersion experience, but it goes on to the kinds of courses that we have, the types of faculty that they interact with, the projects that they work on when they are here as independent studies, uh, the healthcare club, the conferences that the clubs organize, all of those together provide a rich immersive experience for our students. So this combination of being grounded in business functions and a deep awareness of the context or appreciation of the context, I think that's quite unusual. Because a lot of the others who try to get into healthcare come typically through programs of uh, health administration or health mm -hmm. policy, and they're terrific programs, uh, but they tend to have a very policy slant. Mm -hmm. This idea of thinking about it as a business and applying principles, I think, I wouldn't say it's unique to Vanderbilt MBA, but it's very unusual, and we certainly, I think, do it as well as anybody else. So um, talk a little bit about what students who are thinking about pursuing um, the study of healthcare at Vanderbilt 
what should they be thinking about or what should they be reading or who should they be listening to? Um, who, who are some sort of thought leaders in the industry they should be paying attention to? Sure. Who, who are you reading? Fair enough. That's right. That's, that's a great question. Uh, I will say, first of all, if people are entering healthcare with no prior experience, they need to be prepared for a long and somewhat steep learning curve when it comes to the context. I am still learning. I'm still trying to find my way around. So it's better if one recognizes that it's a long road. Very worthwhile, but it's a long road. Uh, I would also say that there is real value, first of all, in also spending time in the context. I would encourage students to find as many opportunities as possible to be in right in the middle of a healthcare delivery system. So our immersion experience is one formal way to do it. But I also encourage the students who take my course to say, if you really find this interesting, reach out to hospitals and see whether you can work on projects. And I'll be happy to supervise them as uh, structure them as independent studies and provide supervision. So try to do that. And when it comes to reading about hospitals, I think uh, there are different writers and blogs. Uh, for example, uh, I would say more formally some of Michael Porter's work, his book I think is uh, is written a book on value-based healthcare. It's very widely read. Uh, it's a, an intimidating looking tome, but I think it's well worth it. Uh, I would say among writers who talk about healthcare, uh, I would think of Atul Gawande. Who was just named um, the head of the Amazon. Amazon, exactly. Yep. Atul Gawande writes very eloquently, and he's a surgeon, and so it's very insightful. Uh, I would certainly look at him. And there are other, I mean, I would say basically, I, I'll start with those initially. Mm -hmm. okay. And then uh, just keep meeting people and look at what they're talking about. But my own pref uh, readings uh, lean towards Atul Gawande. And I'll say there is also the Institute for Healthcare Improvement, IHI. Okay. The Institute for Healthcare Improvement is a great resource for people to get access to a lot of materials about many of the topics we are talking about. They have online videos, they have exercises and things which, get, which help students to come up to speed. Well, Ranga, this is a terrific conversation. I think our students are very excited to be in this space and taking all of the fundamentals of business and management education and applying them to a very complex industry that really requires some deep thinking by some very smart people. So really appreciate having you with us today. Um, any, any parting thoughts? No, I, I just think there is, uh, all I will say is repeat myself. Uh, I think, honestly, that business schools can add tremendous value to this important problem, I think, that is relevant to our society at large, which is how do you deliver healthcare so that it adds value. And thanks again for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thanks to Ranga and Amy for their time this week. And thank you for listening. You can find more stories and information about Owen by visiting our website, business.vanderbilt.edu, following at Vanderbilt Owen on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Music provided by Mike Foster. And I'm Nate Luce.